Hello and welcome to episode 135 of Decentralized Revolution, podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises PAC. I'm your host, Aaron Harris. It is, uh, as I said, episode 135. Got a chance uh, a few days ago to sit down uh, virtually and talk to Tom Woods. Uh, we had Tom on way, way back on, I think, like episode four or five or something um, of this um, podcast back in like March or April of 2020. It was very soon after the beginning of the what I like to call the COVID panic. And uh, at the time, uh, everyone was still kind of getting a handle on it. And Tom, before we uh, went on, he's like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about this. Everybody's talking. I don't know what to uh, you know, everybody's talking about it, so I don't want to. Uh, so it was really, really early. But even then, as I mentioned kind of uh, later in the episode, you could tell he really, you know, the wheels were turning. And uh, uh, here three plus years later, uh, those efforts and uh, Tom's daily efforts during uh, the COVID panic have resulted in a new book of his uh, published by the Libertarian Institute, which of course is Scott Horton and Sheldon Richmond's outfit who uh, they put out lots of great stuff. And uh, one of their latest is diary of a psychosis, how public health disgraced itself during COVID mania. So Tom calls it COVID mania. I call it COVID panic, but uh, whatever you call it, remember how crazy it was. Well, Tom was able to, through his uh, pretty much daily newsletter, I think most weekdays um, he provided a lot of COVID updates and, uh, Going back through those, um, listening to the audiobook as I did, and uh, looking a little bit at the ebook, uh, there's lots of things people forgot. There's things that we didn't forget, but it was amazing how soon Tom and other people uh, were on to what was going on. So uh, it's going to be a great episode here with Tom. Before we get into that, I want to uh, tell you guys about something. Uh, a lot of people have um, talked about the uh, RFK scenario where people are wondering if it might be a good idea to put RFK Jr. on the libertarian ticket, uh, hopes that we get lots of, um, uh, media attention and therefore lots of votes and possibly, you know, greater ballot access, um, benefits, federal matching funds, whatever. Um, we, uh, at the Mises caucus board, we have talked about this. We've never been in favor of it. Uh, of course, we wanted Dave Smith to run. That didn't happen. Uh, Michael Rechtenwald has stepped up. We are thrilled that he is doing that. Um, there's nobody better out there who's willing to do it. Uh, and, and now Clint Russell is in uh, as a vice presidential candidate. Those are going to be decided at the convention in D.C., in, uh, over Memorial Day weekend. So we're urging all of our people to to get with their local, um, their state Mises caucus organizing teams and, uh, you know, tool up, right, to get ready to do what we need to do. And, uh, but there's a chance, I don't think it's a big chance, but, you know, you never know that RFK is going to want to try to get the nomination because we have ballot access in far uh, more states uh, than he's got or will get anytime soon. Um, so we put together a statement on this and you can read that at lpmesiscaucus.com slash RFK. And, uh, it's down there at the bottom of your screen. If you're, if you're listening audio only, which is how I listen to my podcasts, um, it's, uh, lpmesiscaucus.com slash RFK. 
if anyone has questions about how to be a delegate or how to uh, support us, let's say you can't go to DC, but maybe you can go to your state convention. Uh, maybe you can um, help out Mises PAC, help us uh, pay some of the expenses for all the uh, preparations we're making to get people there and to, uh, uh, to the con state conventions and to the national convention. Uh, just go to takehumanaction.com, sign up for the newsletter there, or you can email me direct at Aaron at MisesCaucus.com, uh, A-A-R-O-N at MisesCaucus.com. I really appreciate all the support we're getting. Looking forward uh, to the convention, and uh, I know you guys have been looking forward to this episode with Tom Woods. Tom, it's uh, great to have you back on the show. Um, I had you on the show very early on, and it was, I think, back in like April of 2020, like right when we started this podcast. And at the time, and this all makes uh, it's a perfect uh, symmetry, because at the time we were right in the middle of the very beginning of all the COVID uh, hysteria. People were trying to figure out like if people are going to be dropping dead. And I was like, oh, it, it's great to have Tom on. And you didn't want to talk about it. You were tired of people asking you about it in those first couple of weeks. And, but we ended up talking about it anyway, because I, so even in that um, conversation, I could tell you were destined to be here talking about it after having put out this book, because I could just see that burden of this thing is going to be horrible and I'm going to have to do something about it. So uh, do you recall feeling that way back then? Well, I'll say this, it, it must have been something pretty horrifying if it actually caused me to come out of retirement in terms of book writing. I really did not think I was going to do another one. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, I, you know, it, it, it's very time consuming to write them. It's, it's very hit or miss whether they're going to be successful or, or not, whether it's going to be worth your time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you have to be in sales mode all the time and you're selling something that makes makes you three bucks a unit. I mean, like it just doesn't sound <laughs> enticing to me. So I just didn't want to do it anymore. I, 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 I felt like I had nothing left to prove. I said everything I wanted to say, but then this thing came along and gee, I mean, on the one hand, I am very, very, very pleasantly surprised. Uh, I'm very disappointed in most of mankind, but I am pleasantly surprised that so many people on the, let's say, center-right to, to right-wing, were willing to say the appointed, the so-called experts are wrong and that we mm -hmm. should ridicule them. Uh, under Mitt Romney, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Mitt, Romney's to this, Mitt Romney to this day has respect for an Anthony Fauci. So it, it really impresses me that so many of them were willing to mock him, because that yeah. was not the quote-unquote, right wing I grew up with. They were very domesticated, and they would do what they were told. So that's at least something. Yeah. At the same time, when we think about some of the best public figures on the subject, a couple who come to mind are Rand Paul and Thomas mm -hmm. Massey. Mm -hmm. And guess what political movement Rand Paul and Thomas Massey came out of? The Ron Paul Revolution. Yep. So thank you very much, everybody, uh, for the belated acknowledgement that the Ron Paul revolution is where the GOP should have been because yeah. as with everything else, they turned out to be right. Yeah. Well, that's one thing we end up talking about a lot uh, as part of the Mises caucus is, you know, I think why Michael Heiss started this thing was because that thing seemed to kind of like 
peter out around the time of the 2016 thing i think rand's uh, uh presidential campaign didn't quite do what we wanted it to do and then you had kind of the rise of the alt-right and i think a lot of people which again that's even using that phrase and michael malice's book on that is great but you know the media kind of uh, I think it was a good kind of, you know, misdirect for the media to like, instead of these people with a, you know, intelligent critique of like why things are the way they are and oop, they're talking about the Federal Reserve. Now we can talk about these guys and, you know, these mostly different group of guys and paint them as white supremacists and stuff. So because that sort of anti-government uh, being willing to be critical of things and not be the, you know, the, the George H.W. Uh, Bush Republican Party, the fact that um, those guys kind of got away from the Ron Paul thing, at least I think a lot of people kind of got disheartened after the Ron Paul thing and, and Rand's campaign didn't do great. And that's what the Mises Caucus has been about is to try to revive that Ron Paul revolution. And I think it's, it is telling what you just said is that the people who are the best on, you know, everything during the Trump era are the guys who did come out of that. And so the challenge now is to keep that alive and revive that. And I'm, I, this is, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, this whole Trump phenomenon has, it is so interesting and it gets more interesting every year. And something you've been saying uh, uh, on the Tom Woods show is, you know, every time, every election, people say, oh, this might be the most important, this is the most important election. Well, maybe this year it might be. And so I think that after whatever is happening now um, shakes out, um, I think that we libertarians, we Ron Paul libertarians, there's going to be a smoking wreckage <laughs> uh, of, of post-2024, in my, in my opinion. And that's why we need to stay together and stand strong and be willing to fight against whatever they're going to throw at us next. You know, what's interesting, uh, Aaron, is that I would say, uh, and I've said this a few times, in the 21st century, there have been three major episodes in which people have initially said, oh, I wouldn't want to be a libertarian at a time like this. <laughs> and yet in each case, yep, <laughs> ultimately, it was far better to have been a libertarian. So the most yep. recent one was, of course, the subject of the book. Uh, and 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 COVID, and and people were saying, I don't wouldn't want to be a libertarian with a pandemic afoot. Mm -hmm. And w there is no way you could possibly have done any worse if you had just been laissez-faire. No way you could have done worse than these people. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. The 2008 financial crisis. Oh, I wouldn't want to be a libertarian at this time. I would. I would. I'd like to see these SOBs suffer. And, yeah. and it's it's so funny how many people like. Rachel Maddow were very critical of the bad actors leading up to 2008, but then she was absolutely all in for bailing them out. Yeah, you know, so you're half right, Rachel, but on the the half that counts, you're not mm -hmm. right. So I yep. I'm glad to have been a libertarian. And by coincidence, I wrote a book on that. Yep. And then uh, I would say 9/11 was the other one. Can't be a yep. libertarian now, you know, because now we gotta, you know, get our revenge. And look at how that turned out. You know, yep. who knows how many trillions of dollars later. How many crooked people's pockets have been lined with dough, and yep. what are the results? So, so yeah, we absolutely should stick together because uh, not only do, do we represent a good cause, but doggone it, not just in 
in fair weather times, but also in foul, mm -hmm. it's best to hold to our ideas. Yeah. And I, I was actually thinking about that this morning. Um, uh, Scott Horton has said a couple of times that someone should write the secret history of the, the 21st century. Oh, yeah. I keep telling people that. I, uh, I, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. But Scott's, Scott has taken that mantle up and is telling everybody that now. So maybe, yeah. But good. Uh, but, but it is really uh, striking. I mean, you and I are both Gen Xers. And like the world pre 9-11 and post 9-11 in a lot of ways is very different. And I think 9-11 did put us on this path. And the three things you just mentioned, you know, 9-11, um, the housing crash in 08, and then COVID. I think one of the striking things about all of that is it led to a great loss of liberty and um, a wealth transfer from you know, the ordinary people and even poor people, their liberties and their economic resources got transferred to the super rich. And the fact that where the left has gone over these uh, last 20, 25 years, uh, Scott was talking to Glenn Greenwald and like the, the left and the liberals all became in the Trump era have all become, they've abandoned their best positions and all fused around their worst positions. And everything is just so, um, uh, uh, it, it is, it seems like so much is coming together in this year of 2024. That is, uh, I am kind of worried, but I'm also kind of like have my popcorn wanting to see what's going on, uh, with the Trump and Biden thing. And I think that the whole COVID thing after the first couple of weeks, when, um, you know, I figured out that my parents were not going to be dropping dead in the street. You know, I was kind of cautious there for the first couple of weeks. I checked on my neighbor to make sure, you know, that they were elderly. I said, you got enough toilet paper. But, you know, after a couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, this is not going to be what they say it is going to be. The thought I had was that this is some kind of dress rehearsal. They want to see what people will put up with. And I think that I, I, I kind of get in reading uh, the book, in, in which were your dispatches along the way, there was always that sense of like, can you believe they're telling us to do this now? Right. And I, I was just amazed at how much uh, people complied. And I think it, if this would have happened before 9-11, the America that I grew up in would not have complied with all that stuff. But they've been slowly training us. And uh, they they gathered a lot of data <laughs> during uh, during COVID to see just what people will uh, put up with the next time uh, something big comes around. Well, at least we know that next time there will there will at this at this point be uh, a, a, a recalcitrant minority mm -hmm. that that will just absolutely refuse to do it. Yeah, and we'll see what comes of that. But there are a lot of people. Not a majority, unfortunately. And, th and by the way, this is what, so I wrote the book we're talking about, of course, is Diary of a Psychosis. And I wrote it because um, I followed this very closely. I remember all the details. The details that a lot of us have forgotten are really, mm -hmm. you know, is, is where the, a lot of the story really is buried. Yep. And I think sometimes those of us who feel like we really understand the world and we understand how the world works and who the bad guys are and what their sinister plans are. We want to talk to a normie starting the story at chapter 37. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that we've established who the evil people in the world are, let me tell you the rest. The normies are not on chapter 37, they're on chapter 1. Mm -hmm. Chapter 1 is, the stuff they recommended to us didn't work. 
Mm-hmm. And that seems so uh, pedestrian to to many of us. Oh, well, of course, I mean, it wasn't designed to work because it was actually a... That's chapter 37. Meet the people at chapter one. Mm-hmm. There are literally billions with a B, billions of people in the world who to this day think that what happened from 2020 on was that the public health people around the world did the best they could under mm-hmm. trying circumstances and on balance, although it was a, a difficult thing to do and a lot of sacrifices had to be made, they saved perhaps tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of lives, and we yep. should be grateful to them. There are billions of people who believe that, who are not yeah. ready to hear about Bill Gates and what his plans are. The first <laughs> chapter is, it doesn't work. It yep. Nothing they recommended did the tiniest bit of good, and we can easily demonstrate this. Yeah. So even if you think these are the best people on earth, the fact is they recommended things that did a lot of damage, but didn't actually have the results that you were told they were going to have. And that's yeah. where we have to continue this conversation from. And once that point gets made, then you can move them on to chapters two, three, four, five, and six. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of libertarians who, because they, they do have a lot of knowledge, and they do yep. have a lot of insight into how the world works, are, are impatient with this. No, we have to tell them this was never about health. It was always about... Yep, okay. When they're ready to read that chapter, you can tell it to them. Yep. Until they are, you're going to sound like a lunatic. And I, yeah. we cannot afford that. You know, we yeah. have to be strategic here. And I have yeah. had success. I actually have had success with reasonable people saying to them, look, this is not how you would expect the charts to look. Let, let's be yeah. honest. Would you? You wouldn't. Yeah. Have you gotten, uh, in promoting the book, have you gotten on any so normie uh, outlets or anything not like really. that? Not really. I mean, I, I'll okay. be honest with you. I haven't pushed this book that heavily. I, I, right. I wrote it primarily for my people so that mm-hmm. they would have a resource um, to, because I mean, I think is I just have a lot going on. I, oh, I yeah. did this mostly for them. I'd, right. I'd love for it to get, um, uh, more attention, but it's not a mainstream publisher. It's the Libertarian yeah. Institute, but I just wanted there to be an official record from, of what I had done yeah. because I have a, a, a lot of really great, uh, valuable information. I think, I think it's a really compelling story. Uh, yep. you, when Scott Horton was reading it, he was emailing me telling me how great it was. So <laughs> I appreciate that. But, you know, like if, if I were really doing a, a full full court press on this, I'd have a press agent. We'd be doing yeah. press releases on Fauci's birthday. We'd put out a release and try to get on. But, you know, I just I have a lot of things I'm juggling that they're yeah. all equally important to me. Yeah. Um, so in uh, you just said something like, hey, the next time something like this comes around, the regime can expect that there's that recalcitrant minority. And part of that, I think that the fact that that minority was allowed to, um, I guess enough of those people were able to see that there were others like them out there was through things like, you know, podcasts and uh, the, the biggest uh, example of course is Joe Rogan, which, you know, back when Joe Rogan first started getting popular for that, I'm like, why do people what's, I don't get it. He just talks, he just, sits around and like talks to people, let them talk. And like, then it clicked with me. It's like, that's why he's popular (laughs) because he's uh, just a normal guy who's curious and asks good questions. And that's why they wanted to shut him down over this with, uh, you know, having Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, things like that. The fact that there is this sort of, um, you know, alternative media out there, um, allowed people to, 
uh, you know, you're part of that, um, that people realized, oh, there are other people like me and we can talk about this and stay energized. So what other places and people were you pleasantly surprised at um, at, during all this that became part of that sort of public recalcitrant minority? Well, I mean, I just mean like uh, institutions and and publications. Mm -hmm. Like I I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have thought that a a national review, which is very establishment right, Mm -hmm. would actually be critical of the public health establishment, would be critical of the people that all the fashionable opinion molders are telling us to follow. That's that's very much against their grain. Hmm. So I'm now, of course, I don't. I don't want to talk. I really don't want to talk about <laughs> the Libertarian Party during right. those years. So they they were terrible. Yeah. But but it was refreshing to see, uh, and and you know even just some ordinary Republicans from whom I expect very little. Um, yeah. After a little while, were willing to say this is not. A, a, this is not a way for human beings to live. Yeah. And, does, and the thing is, we, we could tell early on from Google mobility data that the, the social distancing thing and everything wasn't wasn't didn't have any effect. I mean, if mm-hmm. if there's no effect, there's no connection between people's mobility, uh, that is to say, how how infrequently they're staying at home and any health outcome, then then we're we're wasting our time here. Or if if we if we compare Arizona, Nevada, California, mm-hmm. And in that order, they were the most open. Uh, you find that the numbers look exactly the same. Like the the, mm-hmm. the charts, you can't you can't distinguish between them. You know, adjusted for population, you can't tell the difference. But you should yeah. be able to, according to what we were told. You absolutely should be able to. Yeah. So uh, so I sometimes say there are you know I have I have more facts than you can possibly imagine in this diary of a psychosis. I mean it's it is I think it's the most satisfying read of all the books mm-hmm. I, I have because it, it smashes these people so so satisfyingly but but if you had to remember only two facts mm-hmm. i would tell you what they are so the first one is the is the old california versus florida rivalry on this yeah now i have my book website which i would urge every last person listening to this to go to which is diaryofcovid.com at the top of that i have a, a like a i don't know two minute video but it is, it's devastating. And I specifically told the video guy, you have to include this particular clip. Mm-hmm. And it's a clip from MSNBC, of all places, with White House COVID advisor Andy Slavitt. Mm-hmm. And if you can believe it, the MSNBC host asks him, you know, the numbers for Florida and California, and obviously you have to adjust for age. We all understand this. Florida is yep. where everybody goes to retire. California is one of the youngest states in the union. Uh, there's a thousand mold, a thousand fold uh, mortality uh, difference. So obviously you have to correct for that. But once you correct for that, it doesn't seem like there's much difference between Florida and California in health outcomes. So, you know, what do you think is going on here? California was very heavily locked down and Florida wasn't. So, I mean, we should have expected California to do much better. Um, you know, why didn't it? And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, they've actually asked him the question. I can't believe it. What's he going to say? Mm-hmm. And his answer is, well, you know, there are a lot of things about this virus that continue to surprise us that we <laughs> we think we understand it, but then it turns out it's just a bit beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. So his answer is, I don't know. Yep. I don't know. So in other words, we've been telling you to do all these things that decimated your savings, destroyed your livelihood, split your family against each other, 
meant that your your elderly relatives couldn't be visited in the hospital or they missed their procedures mm-hmm. entirely. And yep, guess we just don't understand it. But he continues, yep. we know what works. We obviously don't know what works. And he yep. continues to recommend the same damn thing. Yeah. So so there's that's the first thing is that is that when all was said and done, when all this thing kind of started settling out in 2023, if you look back on all-cause mortality, which is the most significant statistic, because then it eliminates all the complications of coding a COVID death, however you do that, or leaving out the lockdown deaths. All-cause mortality, Florida does better than California. Yeah. That's fact number one. And no one would have predicted that in March 2020. If you asked any of these hysterics, Mm -hmm. if we have a state that locks down like crazy and another one that doesn't, uh, which one do you think will do better in terms of all-cause mortality? Not one of them would have said, well, probably the more open one. Not one. They would yeah. have said the more open one will be probably number 50 out of 50. Yeah. And yet the opposite occurred, so you're wrong. That's the end. I mean, so you're wrong. You, you yourself wouldn't have predicted that in March 2020, yeah. so you're wrong. Yeah. And the second fact is is analogous. The second fact involves looking back, again, at the kind of at more or less the end of this, and looking back over several years, how did Sweden do? You know, we all know mm-hmm. Sweden was, was going to have deaths everywhere and all that. But in terms of all-cause mortality, they have the best figures on the European continent. Now, again, yeah. if we ask somebody in March 2020, if you have a, a country that doesn't lock down in Europe, where do you think it's going to rank among the European countries in deaths? And they would say it'll probably have the worst. But yeah. not only did it not have the worst, it actually had the very best yep so again none of them would have predicted that so yep. they're wrong that they're flat out wrong yeah even in uh uh in the book uh it it goes kind of chronologically stuff that you put out on your um uh, uh mailing list uh, which i get and read to this day a lot of times i find myself like oh just gonna check my email real quick and be done and i end up having to stop and read your stuff because it's always good. But there was something very early on in the book is uh, talking about what you just said about Sweden and um, you know, just the upfront, they were, you know, pressuring the health minister in Sweden or whatever. And people were apoplectic about how, you know, this is going to go bad. And even then you were pointing out the, the data that were actually starting to come in, you know, looked good. And so it's amazing the fact that people who did pay attention and used a little bit of, you know, intelligence to look at this were on to the right track that early. Whereas even today, like you said, most people think that, you know, they did their best and oh well. But one thing that, um, you know, you said earlier about when we talk to someone, to a normie, uh, got to start at the beginning. At some point, we libertarians, I think, have a uh, an advantage if we will slow down and, and do it is introduce people to the notion of thinking from an economist's point of view, you know, the broken window fallacy type stuff, you know, trade-offs, you know, there are no solutions, you know, there are only trade-offs. Um, and once you look at uh, COVID from that perspective, you know, you start to see these things like one of the I remember you pointing it out and it's in the book, uh, but I remember you pointing it out back in the day of all these people who are not going to get cancer screenings. Right. And if you delay cancer screenings by six months, how many deaths is that going to lead to? And it's only if you think of things like the way a Thomas Sowell or, or Frederick Bastiat would 
are you going to even think to ask those questions? Because most of the normal people I talked to throughout all that was they were just bought into the zero COVID thing. Oh, we have to, you know, stop COVID at all costs and it doesn't matter. But, you know, nowhere else in their own lives, they don't make decisions based on that. Like, oh, I have to get that ice cream cone at all costs, right? Nobody thinks like that, except when the regime tells them to think like that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, of course. And I mean, of course, the, the the thing that astonished, I guess it shouldn't have in retrospect me, was that all this time, um, like, for example, when they asked, there was one time where they asked Anthony Fauci, uh, had you considered all the, the collateral effects of what you're doing? And he said that he had not. Yeah. And Francis Collins is now saying that. How could you not? I mean, really? <laughs> How could you not think maybe there are, you know, there are going to be consequences to this? It's it, it, it's it's insane yeah. that that you would do this to society and think, well, let's let's just do one thing at a time. And I know that all the people who told us that we can't oppose lockdowns because, um, you know, the experts have recommended them to us. The, the thing is, the the experts. They were acting like the experts had taken a class in college mm-hmm. that taught them how to balance one thing against the other, you know, how to balance uh, a health outcome against social damage. Yeah. There's no class like that. Yeah. It, it's total superstition to think that there's a group of people who have some magical insight into how to balance the various needs of society. But yeah. we were told that there were and that we we needed to sit down and shut up and listen to those people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I may add, uh, just very quickly, because you know, there's a lot in in the Diary of a Psychosis book. There's there are human interest stories, there are charts and graphs, and they're like charts and graphs that are not like your average boring charts and graphs. These charts and graphs are like machetes. Mm-hmm. But I I was getting during this whole thing. You mentioned my emails. I was getting a lot of replies from people. People would re- respond to my email newsletter, and they would tell me stories about things that were happening to them. Their family was pitted against each other because half of them want to lock down and half don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's even before we get into the question of the shots. Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, you know, I can't see my grandmother, or uh, so, so-and-so can't get surgery, or my business had to close because it, it's not feasible under the current conditions. And the reason they're telling me these stories, I mean, why are they telling me? Because they, mm-hmm. they can't tell these stories at that time. You, yeah. you recall, right? You were demonized yeah. if you criticized any of these restrictions. Well, you just want to get a haircut. You don't care about killing grandmothers and all that. So they had to keep these unbelievable tragedies to themselves. And mm-hmm. so uh, when I decided to write this book, I, I, had, I had saved these stories that people wrote to me. Mm-hmm. And so I emailed these people and I said, I'd like to I'd like to write a companion volume to accompany my book Diary of a Psychosis. I'd like to have a second volume that would consist just of your stories, and I'd like to include yours in it uh, with your permission. And every last one of them said that would be great. Yeah. And and you'd think they they wouldn't want that. You'd think they wouldn't want to relive it in some way, but they just want to be heard. Like a, they want to feel like a person. They they suffered, and they would like for there to be some acknowledgement. That they suffered, yeah. And so, so I did publish it, and and you may think, well, I don't want to read that. That just sounds depressing. But you know what? The same people who say that, 
you know, they'll read a biography of Stalin, you know, yeah. <laughs> they'll read the history of the Soviet Union, no problemo, because we understand the value yeah. of it. And yeah. so I do think it should be read. I think these stories, you know, because for one thing, we're, we're humanizing these people who were isolated, who were kept from the normal kind of fellow feeling we're supposed to have for people. They, they, that was deprived, they were deprived of that. And we can in some way, in a minor way, make things right. So the book, the companion volume is called Collateral Damage. Now, when I, I first came out with this idea, um, I, a lot of times I run things by Michael Malice. And I said, yeah, I've got this companion volume of people's stories of how they dealt with the lockdowns and the things that happened to them. And I'm calling it COVID Stories. And he said to me, that is a terrible title. <laughs> Do not. Don't that's use your that. that's your that's your placeholder title. That's yeah. my placeholder. Yeah. So I came up with collateral damage, and right. he preferred that. So yeah. if you get, no matter where you get it or when you get it, as long as you get Diary of a Psychosis, you can always go to diaryofcovid.com and enter your info, and you'll I'll send you the the uh, the bonus book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a text or whatever and get it? Or do you have one of those? Not anymore. That technology, okay. they took that technology away from us for the most part. It's, it's actually did. much harder to do now because oh, of wow. changes to the world. So I huh. used to have that, but can't be done anymore. Really? Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so huh, there's so many questions. Um, so on the specifically on the, on the vaccine, which I guess we're allowed to kind of talk about this now. Um, um, do you think there's ever going to, anybody is ever going to be held accountable? Like, do you think there's ever going to be honest reporting? Uh, you know, cause obviously, well, it sure seems to me like something's fishy is going on <laughs> with, um, you know, a lot of young people dying and there's incidences of this disease and that disease, you know, uh, in, populations and age groups that you know all of a sudden it's much bigger it seems like there's something going on and if we had a um if we had a journalism class that like actually cared about breaking stories and holding powerful people to account there's you know there's months and months and months and months of stories there but very little of that's coming out do you do you think there's ever going to be do you think we're ever really going to know how bad uh this uh the shot has been I, I, I think of, I think eventually, but it, it, it might be a while. I mean, in, in mm -hmm. a way, there's a kind of an analogy uh, that, that will seem weird to some people, but um, in the Catholic Church, there was a, a, a very, very significant um, um, change made to the liturgy uh, in, back in around 1970. So, so yeah. the way people... Um, experienced the Mass, became radically different after about right. 1970. And this coincided with a dramatic decline in all the signs of the Church's health. And some mm -hmm. people try to say, well, those were happening anyway, and there was nothing you could do. You can argue that all day long. The point is, um, if you try to argue that this change was very disorienting for people and was a very destructive and, and foolish decision... You can't get anywhere. Why is that? Because all the people in authority today have their um, reputations staked on this whole thing because they helped to do it. Yeah. And so they're not going to let you go around and say, the reason that we're seeing all this decline is because of a dumb thing you did. 
They're not going to allow that. But the next generation might, because the next generation can say, we have clean hands here. We had nothing to do with this. And so I think, I, I guess the analogy, you know, how this works uh, is, is obvious. Um, as time goes on, and there are fewer people commenting on this who had direct involvement or mm -hmm. who, you know, wanted people without the shots to die waiting in hospital corridors or, you know, said incredibly cruel things. Once those pass, it'll become a lot easier to have the conversation. So at the very least, in the long run, yes, I think the information comes out. But we yeah. can accelerate that long run, I think, the more we push. And, and yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, the more we get big opinion molders like a Joe Rogan asking mm -hmm. interesting questions you know, I think we we might reach the answer faster than we would have in the days of NBC, ABC, and CBS, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the, the those days of, like, um, you know, journalists in the public interest taking down the power, you know, that, there's, that was never really a thing, <laughs> uh, I don't think. Um, and, and you're right. I think that the, the more decentralized it is, I think the more you have a chance of... The, the the proper the true story something approaching the truth finally finally getting out there because it's just fewer fewer filters to to you know there's fewer bottlenecks of the information um so where do you think uh what do you think we're going to see in 2024 i mean obviously the the whole you know there's we didn't even talk about the aspect of what the COVID stuff did to the 2020 election, you know, would, could Biden have been the nominee and or gotten elected um, uh, without, without it? Um, we'll never know, you know, the mail-in stuff and all that. And my opinion is that both, you know, obviously there was cheating and all kinds of stuff. There's skullduggery on both sides, but something really fishy happened. Um, but this is the most bizarre, bizarre, never mind the most important election again in our lifetimes, like there's nothing even close to this, you know, one president under indictment, the other one who's, you know, people made fun of Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan looks like a teenager <laughs> compared to, uh, uh, to Joe Biden. Uh, we've got RFK, like what, what are we in for this year? Do you think? It's, it's hard to say. I had a discussion on the Tom Wood show about this. And, and I said, uh, a lot of the Trump people are just, you know, nobody but Trump. It's got to be Trump. Yep. And of course, now, obviously, it looks like Trump has the nomination wrapped up. But I, I said, the, the trouble is, even though you do see some polls showing him leading in, in critical states, mm -hmm. uh, number one, since it lo looks like he's picked up the nomination, some of those polls have started to reverse. Mm -hmm. But secondly, and here's the, the big problem. If you ask people, especially independents, which he's got to woo some of those people, mm -hmm. uh, how, do you, how do you assess whether you would vote for somebody who is a convicted felon? Mm -hmm. And the numbers for Trump go way down. And, mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, I, I totally understand and am sympathetic with them when they say these are uh, ridiculous charges that a politicized justice system is bringing against him. Yeah. I completely hear that, but it's, it's not me. You need to convince it's, yeah, it's yeah. those people. And so when I asked, when I had a discussion about this on the show and I asked a friend I, whose opinion I really respect, I said, well, how do you reckon with that? He said, we're just going to have to see, we'll have to just yeah. cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. 
I don't know what that means for them. Yeah. And I, I've all, I've often, I have a pet theory that uh, they're going to somehow after the nomination in the Democrat side, I could see them retiring, but you know, the Biden getting sick or hey, sorry, you know, he, he, he died. He's got, you know, he got sick when then the party could then select somebody else in there. So like, I, I'm, I don't know. I, as a as a libertarian who's going to vote for Michael Rechtenwald, uh, I, I just I just watch it all as uh, theater. But I think that um, one thing I will say is I think that both RFK and you know whoever the Green Party and of course the LP like I think the so called I'd like to call them challenger parties because there's they're not third parties because you have, can't have more than one third party. But um, I think all of the challenger parties are going to get minuscule numbers this time because people are so polarized and yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting, but um, like it, to kind of bring it back full circle, I think the libertarian movement, you know, it, it's not going to get better even if Trump uh, gets in. So we've still got to, um, you know, Ron Paul showed us how to do it. And if it's going to be done, you know, that's how we have to do it to, to stick to that message. Talk about the most important things, which are the fed and the wars and, you know, um, uh, see what happens. But, uh, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you, glad you wrote this book because, um, you know, just to ha to having lived through that and ha having a hard time feeling sane through all of that. I hope some, have you gotten feedback of people reading this, what they've said about what it's made them feel like? Uh, well, the feedback's all been excellent. I'm mm -hmm. happy to say, um, I would, I would love to hear what a, a naysayer would say, honestly, because yeah. there were some in the libertarian world on yeah. the real edges of left libertarianism who were all yeah. for every single thing they recommended, except they would, you know, very lamely say that it should be voluntary or some kind of right. like that as an afterthought. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, the, if you weren't convinced <laughs> by just common sense, the numbers are in now, you know, and this, yeah. this was a big bust and, and stupid. And, 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 you know, if you compare states to each other, again, you got to, got to, uh, adjust for age, but you probably also have to adjust for obesity. Yeah. Uh, I would say is another thing because there are some red states where there's a lot of obesity and yep. that's a shame. They shouldn't have that. But if you correct for that, then I, it looks like the differences just go away. You know, it's like, uh, it's like the, um, the so-called gender pay gap. Yeah. If you compare apples to apples, there basically is no gender pay gap. But nobody yep, wants yep. to compare apples to apples because yep. how are you going to get, you know, the, the the dough you want, the 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 goodies you want if you tell the honest story? But we need to tell the honest story, and the honest story vindicates libertarianism yet again. Yep. I, I yep. might add. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, and yeah, to the gender pay gap thing, it it's it doesn't fit into the overall narrative that people are trying to push, so they ignore it. And so I think it's the same thing with COVID is people who their default is to trust the government um, and the experts, then they don't want anything that challenges that narrative. And it gets tiring as a libertarian to try to have to, to get people to um, uh, consider that there's another narrative or another way of looking at things, but that's, uh, that's our lot, I suppose. But uh, um, um, I know how, what, what, uh, what number are you on, on the Tom Woods show now? Well past 2000, right? Yeah. Closing in on 2450 at this point. 
Okay. Well, um, I know you've got uh, other things to do today and I appreciate you to stopping in. And uh, I, I listen to, to you just about every episode. Sometimes I just get behind and um, have to skip one, but uh, um, it's uh it's helped keep me sane for the last six, seven years or whatever. So, uh, um, keep up the good work. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, so diaryofcovid.com. That's the website. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Thank you.